Welcome to another exciting episode of the Alternative Investment Podcast. Listen in as your hosts, Jimmy Atkinson and Andy Hagens, discuss tax-advantaged investment strategies to help you grow your wealth. From commodities to real estate, private equity, agribusiness, and more, we cover it all here on the Alternative Investment Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Investment Podcast. I'm Andy Hagens. And I'm Jimmy Atkinson. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today we have a great topic. Big news last week. This news is right up Jimmy's alley. Of course, uh, bipartisan legislation was introduced that would extend the Opportunity Zones program. Now, Jimmy, you've called the Opportunity Zones program the greatest tax incentive in U.S. history, which is a big, bold statement, right? So how excited are you about this proposed legislation? I mean, is it even likely that it could become law? Well, yeah, I use that term, greatest tax incentive in U.S. history, uh, half to get people's attention, but also half because I actually think it's true, right? So, um, and this proposed legislation is going to do a lot of things that will put additional guardrails on the program, but also extend the program and improve the program in many different ways. And the, the best part is I actually do think that this legislation will get passed eventually. It's only a matter of time uh, because it is uh, very much a bipartisan effort. And it was introduced bicamerally also. So there's supporters on both sides of the aisle and wow. in both houses of Congress. Wow. There's not a lot of uh, bipartisan legislation in this. Not, not um, these days. This day and age. So, so here's a couple of interesting things, Jimmy. Uh, I'm going to talk just really high level, you know, strategically. I, I totally agree. The fact that this is bipartisan, that's always been the strength of the Opportunity Zones program, right? Is that it was sponsored um, by representatives and senators from uh, both the two political, major political parties in Washington that gives it more staying power. It's a little bit less of a political football. But so I know, you know, the proposal is to extend the program by two years. And I'm thinking, you know, isn't that just kind of kicking the can down the road and they're just going to have to extend it every two years. But the fact that it also has some proposed improvements, I think is a very good thing because if I could try and summarize what you've told me before, you think if the program can be tweaked or improved a bit, it's going to be a good thing because it's going to be a lot more likely that the program would be made permanent if it's improved. So even if it's just kicking the can two years forward, uh, if we get some of these improvements in the program, then then you're an optimist that it could become uh, sort of an indefinite tax incentive. Is that right? I think there's a chance for that. Yes. And the reason why they introduced it as a two-year extension, there's a couple of reasons, really. One is just because of how long it took for the IRS to come out with their final regulations on how the incentive structure works. The, uh, the statute, the actual piece of legislation that made Opportunity Zones reality is about this thick and really <laughs> leaves a lot more questions than answers in many cases. So the IRS came back with regulations this thick on how the program actually works and how different funds and different investors can comply with the program, how the IRS interpreted the statute and how they are moving forward in with the tax policy the best way uh, that they see uh, the to do. Um, it's kind of nice that Congress passes laws that way, right? They just, uh, it's like they shoot out a quick little three-line email and they're like, 
we want to pass a law, but we're just going to kind of outsource this to uh, whatever federal agency. So you guys just do whatever you feel like doing. No, I'm kidding. Um, oh, in, in many ways, that 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 is that is more or less true. In in some ways, more than more than you know, I, I would guess. Uh, yeah, the the statute could have been much more comprehensive and and more detailed. But I think they do rely on the IRS attorneys to to put forth those regulations to to make sure that everybody complies properly. But the 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 reason for the two years, so that's one reason. It actually took the IRS exact pretty much exactly two full years between when the statute was passed and it was passed as part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act at the end of 2017, and when the regulations were finalized in December of 2019. And then uh, another reason why they want to extend it by two years is because the marketplace uh, received, uh, I guess, was kind of victim to a pause or a disruption that was the COVID-19 pandemic. So the press releases around this new legislation references both of those bullet points as reasons for the two years. But the hope is certainly that, you know, the additional two years and the improvements that are made to the statute uh, will allow for more investors to come into the program, more communities to lead community-sponsored efforts to drive more capital into these opportunities and locations, and additional transparency and reporting, which we'll discuss in a minute, uh, will allow uh, congressmen and their constituents uh, to be able to analyze the program and be able to determine whether or not is it is a success. So the hope being, you know, years from now, but before we get to the end, uh, which is currently 2026, the legislation is proposing 2028. Hopefully, before we get to that point, it is extended again or possibly made permanent. Right. Yeah. And just as sort of a sidebar. If we have any advisors or investors listening, watching right now, uh, who haven't yet invested in an opportunity zone and an op- qualified opportunity fund, um, you know, it's really popular tax incentive program with a lot of advantages um, because it allows an investor to defer any type of capital gain. So unlike a 1031. Uh, it doesn't need to be uh, a capital gain from the sale of real property, right? It could be a capital gain from the sale of a business or mutual funds, stocks, bonds, uh, you name it can be deferred into the qualified opportunity fund. You get to defer that capital gain, which is nice. But then the big benefit, I mean, the really enticing thing is then any subsequent gains inside that qualified opportunity fund come out after 10 years uh, with that stepped up cost, cost basis, right, Jimmy, and without you don't owe any um, capital gains taxes on that subsequent capital gain that would occur, you know, within the fund. So it's a very attractive program. I mean, just just financially, when you do the math, um, you know, you've sort of made the comment to me that you don't even want to look at any real estate investments that are not in an opportunity zone. And, you know, I, I wouldn't go quite that far myself personally, but looking back on the past year, I'm like, yeah, all of the uh, investments I made, well, they were all in opportunity zones because it's just once you crunch the numbers, it's hard for the IRR to compete uh, once you account for that tax incentive, right? So very, very attractive program, especially for high net worth, very high net worth, ultra high net worth investors who are in those higher tax brackets. So Jimmy, it, you know, we've seen some news recently about the amount of assets that have shifted into the Opportunity Zones program, right? Like the the amount that qualified 
opportunity funds have raised. Could you give us a quick update on, uh, you know, how much capital has actually flowed into this program? Yes. And to contextualize this, I want to go all the way back to early 2018. Uh, then Secretary of the Treasury, Stephen Mnuchin, estimated that this would become a $100 billion program, that $100 billion or more of private capital would flow through qualified opportunity funds. And I think that just within the first, uh, it's been almost four years now, we've already possibly hit that $100 billion mark. And that is going against a lot of headwinds that I just mentioned. The regulations being um, a very lengthy process that took two years to finalize, the COVID-19 pandemic, I think we may have already hit $100 billion. Now, the reason wow. why I have to say we may have is because nobody really knows for sure. But there are two <laughs> studies that I will cite that kind of point into the direction of $100 billion. One is the Government Accountability Office, the GAO, released a report that uh, calculated that $29 billion had flowed into the program just as of through the end of 2019, which is the most recent tax year that they were able to compile aggregated data on. So that's pretty impressive right off the bat. That doesn't take into account 2020, doesn't take into account 2021, or the first, what, three and a half or so months of 2022 here. The second study is Novogratic, which is a professional uh, services organization, uh, national organization that has really deep expertise in opportunity zones. They do a lot of tax accounting for opportunity zone funds. They have over a thousand different qualified opportunity funds in their Rolodex that voluntarily report to them regularly on how much capital they've raised. And their last update was as of December 31, 2021, just a few months ago, they estimated that, or no, they got the answer aggregating all the data that $24.4 billion had been raised through just that segment of the total QOF universe that they're tracking. And they estimate that the actual number is likely three to four times higher than that based on their know-how of the program. So that would put us already close to 75 to $100 billion range. So that's why I say it's, uh, it's quite a bit of money that's already been raised. I think maybe you could also um, say with a straight face that if you include debt financing or other sources of equity, it's possible that there are close to a half a trillion dollars of mm -hmm. Opportunity Zone projects already out there. And I think that number, of course, is only going to grow as we head into the uh, last several years of the program here. Right. So that $100 billion number is only the equity financing that's correct. Of these developments. And of course, a lot of multifamily being built in opportunity zones. You know, we live in a, a country with uh, a shortage of what, 5 million or more housing units. So at least, yeah, uh, really, yeah, really incredible program. I mean, when I, when I talk with advisors, when I talk with high net worth investors, a lot of interest in DSTs right now, but also a lot of interest in opportunity zone funds. So I think within that world of, you know, private equity, real estate. Uh, these are, they're already important, Jimmy. And I think to the extent this program is extended, I think these QOFs are going to become increasingly important. So could you give us kind of a, a high level walkthrough? What exactly does this proposed legislation do? How does it tweak the program? 
Uh, what would be the new reporting requirements? Um, are there any you know, new regulations for sponsors that sponsors would need to be aware of? Are there any new aspects that an investor or advisor would need to be aware of? Yeah, no, great question, Andy. Um, so there are, first of all, I'll reiterate, this is really bipartisan, the effort here. There were some asks that are more popular with the Republican side, and there are some asks that go into this legislation that are more popular with the Democrat side. But the, I would say that the first, there, and I'm going to go through five. I'm going to go through five bullet points. Um, the first three are particularly important, and the, and the last two actually kind of surprised me because I had really only heard about the first three. So the, the first one truly was a bipartisan ask. Everybody I've talked with, both sides of the aisle, even fund sponsors want this first one, and it is increased transparency and reporting. The problem is there isn't a lot of data that is collected on the qualified opportunity funds, and there's not. It's, it's very difficult to know how well the program is working, where the money is going. That was actually originally part of the uh, original legislation that was, the, but the reporting part got stripped out of the final legislation in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in 2017 due to a Senate procedural rule. They're attempting to put that back in now. And what it would do is, without getting into the nitty gritty too much, it would call for a little bit more data from each qualified opportunity fund. And it would also require Treasury to issue regular reports on the state of the program. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's bullet point number one, really transparency, reporting, so we can determine as a country, whether or not this program is working and how well it's working. Yeah, so, and, and, and sponsors ahead. sponsors know it's working, mm -hmm. right? So they're in favor of this because it's like, we'll give them uh, evidence or, or proof <laughs> that this program is a good thing, that it's benefiting you know communities where, for instance, multifamily housing is being built with ground up development. That's exactly right. Yeah, sponsors know it's working. Sponsors want this data to get out there. Right. So the program doesn't come under increased negative scrutiny, but instead is positively praised and extended by two years, extended by four years, maybe extended permanently, indefinitely at some point in time in a, in a future session of Congress. So the, the second way that this is going to improve the Opportunity Zone program, this is really an ask more by uh, the Republican side was they'd like to see it extended. Um, for better or worse, this program got branded early on as a Trump program. The Trump administration was the one who initially finalized it into law and initially put all the regulations around it. So, you know, well, what's the big deal, Jimmy? Uh, Trump wasn't controversial at all. I don't see why that would be. In, in some circles, he was apparently. So <laughs> <laughs> the, it, the, the program received a lot of bad press out of the gate sure. because of that. Uh, and, you know, there was actually some talk during the election cycle that, hey, if if uh, if Bernie Sanders gets elected or another Democrat gets elected, could the program potentially be shut down at some point? There was some right. serious concern and discussion about that. Uh, Joe Biden, when he was uh, campaigning, he actually put out some positive messaging on his campaign website about the program. But it, it th 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 this ask to extend the program by two years is, is really more Republican led. Uh, and it's for the reasons I just gave. So it would push out that deferral period that you referenced earlier, Andy, you get to defer that capital gain until the end of 2026. Um, and that is also the final date, December 31, 2026, uh, on which you can realize a capital gain and still have it be eligible for any of the tax benefits of this program, it pushes that date out until December 31, 2028. And I think we've already talked about 
that quite a bit. So that's bullet point number two. Bullet point number three, if I may go on, is really more of a Democrat ask. And that is they wanted to unwind a little bit of the Opportunity Zone designations. Uh, Mm -hmm. In particular, they're asking that a handful of Opportunity Zones, and it'd probably be several dozen, maybe a hundred or so, that they be decertified or early sunsetted is the term that some are using. So there are a handful of zones out there that you look at them and you think, why the heck is that an opportunity zone? It's not particularly low income, especially given trends of the last several years. And if you were to update the census data, they would have very high levels of income, sometimes six figures or more. So this, this particular provision of the legislation would call for any zone whose median household income is 130% or more of the median national household income, that those zones be decertified, uh, early sunsetted, so to speak. Most likely, there would be some sort of grandfathering provision that would not completely destroy a fund or an investor who had already made money uh, or who had already put money into those zones. but how this bill continues to unfold and, and what gets passed is still a matter of um, time, right? We have, to, we have to see what happens, but, but most likely that grandfathering provision uh, w- would be in there. And uh, again, but- I, this is something that I think most sponsors are in favor of because this is an issue that has sort of dogged the Opportunity Zones program with some bad press, right? With, exactly. all, of these, with all of these Opportunity Zones, uh, a journalist for the Washington Post, for instance, could find one and say, well, this shouldn't be an opportunity zone. And they'd, they'd probably be right, right? So they sort of uh, opportunity, I think, for a little bit of a PR facelift. And, um, you know, I, I'd point out that um, was, weren't some of these designated at the state level? So, I mean, some of these, who knows who is responsible for these sort of mistakenly identified opportunity zones. But in any case, getting these fixed, I think, would be a good move for the program as a whole to just be perceived as, you know, helping communities that uh, need the investment the most. A hundred percent right, Andy. I mean, the, the vast majority of sponsors and other advocates of the program would like to see something like this get passed. So again, it, it reduces the amount of scrutiny that the program comes under. There was a very famous case of Story County, Nevada, the opportunity zone there that was the subject of a very bad piece of PR by the New York Times about two years ago. We'll try to link to that one in the show notes. But if we can just remove some of those bad apples, it gives less ammunition for somebody at, at some of these big mainstream media publications to go after the program in the future. I think that's exactly right. It reduces the headline risk, Sure, I guess you could say. So um, bullet points number four and five, I'll, I'll touch on briefly because I, I haven't really delved into them too much. I was much more familiar with these first three, but um, the fourth one would allow for a fund of funds. Currently, a qualified opportunity fund has to invest directly into qualified opportunity zone property or a qualified opportunity zone business. It can't just simply invest in another qualified opportunity fund. This provision would unwind that restriction and would allow for a qualified opportunity fund to invest in another qualified opportunity fund. Which, Jimmy, if I may interject... I think this is this is a game changer because if you have a capital gain of a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand dollars, and the minimum investment amount for many uh, QOFs is a hundred thousand dollars, 
it's hard to achieve that diversified portfolio, right? But if there were any mutual funds or fund of funds that say invested in five or 10 different QOFs, then you could take that same $100,000 capital gain, put it in a fund of funds and bam, you have a diversified opportunity zones portfolio right there. I think that's exactly right, Andy. Yeah, so that it should help the smaller investor. It should also help some of the uh, smaller uh, projects uh, that are looking for additional financing. I, I think it's going to help open up the marketplace a little bit more to some of the uh, the smaller type investors and, and projects. I think that's exactly right. And then the the fifth and final point that I'll touch on is it's going to this 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 legislation would establish what they refer to as a state and community dynamism fund. And frankly, I'm not too familiar with with what this is exactly. I'm hoping to learn more about it in the coming days and weeks. Sounds dynamic. Um, it does sound dynamic, but essentially it would allow for flexible grants uh, that would provide operating support and technical assistance to underserved communities all over the country. How the funds are created and distributed, I don't know if that's been clarified yet, but that, that, was, the, that was the fifth point there. So uh, overall, a lot of ways that the Opportunity Zones tax incentive tax policy is going to be improved, some additional guardrails on the program, mm -hmm. Uh, but also, you know, more opportunities for investors to use the program favorably and to use the program for a longer period of time. Okay, Jimmy, uh, all that sounds great. So, I mean, it, it sounds like you think it's fairly likely that it's going to be extended. Probably, you know, legislation like this often gets marked up and changed uh, and sort of evolves, right, as yes. it goes through the process. But I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, will the Opportunity Zones program be extended? Yes or no? Yes. And it, then we have a chance of, we can increase the chance of that happening uh, with the help of a lot of our viewers and listeners if they could write to their congressmen and write to congressional leadership, get in front of the Senate Finance Committee or the House Ways and Means Committee, some of the decision makers who end up marking up this legislation and packaging it into a larger tax omnibus bill or a tax appropriations bill. Uh, potentially we could get it passed maybe later this year. I don't know if it's gonna happen prior to the midterm elections. It may end up happening in the lame duck session of Congress um, in November or beyond. Potentially so we're gonna have that was to wait. My, that was my follow-up yeah. question, Jimmy. You yeah. think it will be extended by this Congress? Do I think it'll be extended by this Congress? Ooh, yeah. that's, that's a really good question. I think it will. I think it'll get extended during the lame duck session. I'll go out on a limb and say that. I think it'll get extended um, before before this current session of Congress is up, but it might take might take several months still. It might be after the midterms. Wow. You know, as a co-founder of AltsDB, I think that's pretty exciting because I think the ozone program uh, is just an increasingly important part of, of this larger, you know, private equity real estate world. Um, because like I said, I, I think it's just, it's such an amazing program. It's, it's unlocking new ground up development, uh, multifamily development, especially in a lot of communities that really need it. And the other thing I love, you know, again, I, I like DSTs too, don't get me wrong, but comparing it to a 1031, there's just a lot more investors with applicable uh, capital gains, right? That can, doesn't have to be real estate. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so, what, by the way, what we'd like to do, if I may, before we wrap up here, I'd like to give a plug for our upcoming webinar coming up on April 28th of 2022 here. 
Uh, we are, and by we, I mean opportunitydb.com. My other website and platform specifically focused on Opportunity Zones is teaming up with Ozworks Group and the Economic Innovation Group, EIG, which was the Washington, D.C. Economic Research Organization that really spearheaded the initiative in the first place several years back. We're teaming up to put on a webinar that will be an advocacy effort, really. And it's my first foray into the world of legislative or congressional advocacy. So I'm really looking forward to it. And we're basically going to give our viewers and our listeners a step-by-step -step, um, method for how they can address letters to Congress, how they can sign their name onto our huge sign-on letter that is going to be targeted at congressional leadership, asking them to make this legislation a reality. So for more information on that, check out the show notes for today's episode. And we'll make sure we have a link to that webinar registration on there. Excellent. So Jimmy Atkinson heads to Washington. I love it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> okay. Well, that's it for today, Andy. It was a pleasure being the guest on today's episode of the Alternative Investment Podcast. Uh, for our listeners or viewers out there today, if you want to learn more about the resources that we discussed on today's episode, be sure to check out the show notes at altsdb.com slash podcast. And please remember to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you like this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. The Alternative Investment Podcast is produced by the Alternative Investment Database online at altsdb.com. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and access the show notes by visiting altdb.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode. Thank you.